0: I thought we would start today by saying something about John McAfee, who passed away this week in a Spanish prison after being extradited, or they, not physically extradited, but uh, the Spanish government agreed to extradite him to the United States. This is a tax evasion case, right? That's all it is. And uh, anyway, we had him this week featured. As one of the thoughts, he once said, all power corrupts, take care which powers you allow a democracy to wield. I think that's interesting because he, he mentions a democracy to wield. I'm a big believer in democracy. But boy, the second you forget that democracies can roll over somebody's rights just like an authoritarian regime can and does all the time. You got to protect against that. So, very interesting statement. Very interesting guy. His extradition and his his death is uh, being talked a lot in uh, about a lot in libertarian circles. He ran for president in uh, 2016 as a libertarian. Did he run in 2020? I don't
1: think he ever had a serious effort. In 2020. Okay.
0: But anyway, he ran and came in second and, and ran a pretty good race. And, of course, he's, his fame and his, his wealth comes from uh, McAfee uh, software, taking care of uh, viruses and things like that. And and some people thought maybe, uh, and he's kind of a, a crazy genius. I think he would, he were alive, would probably say, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I am. But we're hoping maybe he could get rid of some of the viruses in the swamp. It was not to be, but you know you, Tim, you've been reading some of the the different things, which I haven't really, but there's certainly a a fear that his apparent suicide or however, i don't I don't know that, that is how it's been characterized, really, but anytime somebody dies in prison, it's it's not good. And when it is suicide, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein didn't kill himself. Uh, when it's suicide, it's it, you know it's the job of jailers to make sure that doesn't happen because it's just not believable. It's just I don't want to say believable. That's not the right word. It's just always you feel like you don't know someone is totally in someone else's control, and that's someone the jailer, the government really has a responsibility to keep themselves safe, even from themselves. So, uh, you know, McAfee, you were telling me he he had said, you know, he's not going to commit suicide ever or something. And in some way kind of saying, look, don't let him don't let him Jeffrey Epstein me.
1: Right. Right. uh, But I don't know any of that for sure. A lot of this goes around first as memes as they, as we put it, you know, as visual representations with funny lines on them and what to believe and what not to believe. I don't have any idea, but we do know that McAfee was a very smart man and a very funny man and a very provocative man. And he made you think his campaign ads in 2016 were the best I've ever seen from any libertarian, bar none, nothing, nothing comes close. And, uh, because they were so provocative and so interesting. I mean, I don't like campaign ads generally. Gen- for the same reason, I don't like most advertising. I mean, in most of it's about something I don't care about, or don't believe, or don't agree with. So it doesn't it doesn't affect me. Whereas McAfee's advertisements were were truly original and interesting. They, and they they took a lot from his personality, his personality as some sort of weird prophet. I mean, he seemed like. Hunter S. Thompson and (laughs) Moses combined. So it was a very strange combination. And uh, his ads were amazing. Well, he
0: will be missed. I wonder if those ads are on YouTube.
1: Of course they are. Here's a little bit. I'll narrate what's on screen. Our schools, our media, our politicians, they're hiding a virus. The virus in our system, force. Every four years Americans come together to bully their neighbors. Government forces losing voters to submit. Media cheers on the bullying. School teaches us this is justice. Politicians promise what they can take from us. Politics is power. Politics is lies. Politics is force. Politics is dying. Kill politics. So it can be reborn. Be a libertarian. We
0: will miss him, which leads us into uh, Monday's commentary this week, which was missing fathers.
1: Before we get too far, this is This Week in Common Sense, which you, Paul Jacob, are the star. And we cover the big stories of the week that have appeared on thisiscommonsense.org. So if I run the music right now, we are beginning a podcast.
0: I can't hear the crowd noise. Is the crowd noise turned up or down?
1: The music drowned it out.
0: <laughs> well, the first one was Missing Fathers, and, uh, and I had a wonderful Father's Day, I was thinking, late on Sunday, as I was thinking, when am I going to write for Monday? And uh, I had too much fun last weekend. That was my problem. And uh, But it was a wonderful Father's Day. And, of course, I think about my father, uh, who passed away uh, this month, uh, four years ago. And a five, five years ago. And I think about my father-in-law, uh, who passed away a, a year before that. And... Um, You know, it's not as if there's some crisis. They, you know, one of the things about my dad is he never wants you to, you know, be too needy of him. Hey, come on, you can do it on your own. And uh, and I like that about him. And, you know, then I go on, you know, Facebook and people post different things about their fathers. And it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. And, you know, we all have different. Experiences and some better than others, and uh, but the the this is how we're connected, and I just thought that's so wonderful. And the only kind of downer on Father's Day was picking up the Washington Post, and in the Outlook section, which is actually their book review section. They got rid of their book review section. This is just, this, nobody wants to know this, except my wife and I complain about it all the time. But uh, they got rid of their book review section somehow. It was like, okay, nobody likes books, I guess. And uh, and And then they turned their outlook, which was more, you know, op-eds and stuff like that, into a book review section. So we've always thought that was funny. But I digress. Anyway, they had a big... Their whole front page of the Outlook section was this big picture of a guy, father with a, apparently a father, with a, uh, you know, birthday cake. He's delivering it to the table of, you know, kids cheering and happy. It's somebody's birthday. And outside these, you know, uh, glass doors, sliding glass doors, is the wife kind of looking on. And it says, fatherhood reimagined. And of course, my first thought is, is it that that strange? I mean, the only strange thing is, why is the mom, like, outside? They won't let her in the house? I mean, what's going on? Let the woman inside. It could be cold or something. Anyway, uh, I guess it's June. It's not cold. But, but uh, I mean, would it be so strange that the dad takes a birthday cake to the—anyway, so what is, what is fatherhood reimagined, I want to know? Well, there's two stories there. And the first story is about DNA testing and the fact that there's a lot of people finding out, Oh, my dad, isn't my biological dad. And, and of course that's interesting. And it is something that's new and very worthy of, you know, publicity and discussion and everything else. It's not exactly the fatherhood message I was looking for. And, and so I look at the other one and the other one, uh, which is much more tied to this picture, is about a guy who's a, a psychologist, I believe, and, uh, and he decides he wants to do more to equalize the burden, the mental thinking about the kids and doing work uh, you know, that, that helps your kids grow up to be not kids anymore. And, uh, and, and so he's going to take care of all the planning of the birthday party. And uh, and he just points out that, geez, it's awfully tough. We don't think about this. It was so much more difficult than I thought it would be. So on and so on. Um, And okay, that's fine, too. And, And people are, you know, doing these things. And so let's talk about it. But this is fatherhood. This is it's like, you know, one piece is kind of about. Today's biology and science news, and the other piece is about that men still, you know, don't quite do enough in the household and so on, and and uh, and and hey, that's that's fine too. But where's the story about the dads I'm hearing about on Facebook? Where's the story about dads like my dad? Where's the stories about dads like my wife's dad and like so many different friends I, I know? And where is the stories, not about any particular dad, but what we're looking for from dads? And that can change from time to time as mores change and, and social interactions change and so on. But I think there's some constants there. And it just strikes me that, There's almost an anti-fatherhood campaign going on out there. I mean, how does a major publication like this not offer anything to anyone who wants to say, you know what, fatherhood's important. I like fathers. We need fathers. Fathers are sometimes rarely once a million, you know, in a million years do something good. And it's not there. And it really, to me, says something, it, it just screamed. And of course, I, I think back to a piece I did and I mentioned in this, uh, uh, in this commentary, Missing Fathers at thisiscommonsense.org, um, uh, Michael Denzel Smith had written a piece called The Dangerous Myth of the Missing Black Father and Throughout his piece, he was very down on his own father who, you know, didn't do good enough. And maybe, you know, maybe his father wasn't so good. I have a feeling maybe his father thinks that the son wasn't so good. But, but anyway, I'm just, I don't know. Um, but then his whole point was that it's systemic racism, which he never really defined or gave any real specific, you know, uh, identification to or how to fight it. Other than that everybody should just feel bad. And <laughs> granted, we all do kind of feel bad when we think about some of these things. But um, but his whole point was it's not fatherlessness, and that this is a, you know, this is ridiculous. it's it's uh, you know, you're trying to pretend that it's something. It, it was almost like it can't be that people can do things that would help themselves. And uh, and I just thought he was so wrong. but one of the things he said, is that basically if we had a, a better welfare state, if we had a society in which we had all the right caregivers and different people in different positions, and when you came home from school, there was a nice Thing to eat snacks and watch only the best TV programs and go out and play and do exactly the right exercises and everything else, and you got put to bed at exactly the right time to be put to bed by people who really liked you. They weren't your father or necessarily your mother or anyone you'd never heard of before, but they put you to bed, you know, just with such care and, uh, and excellence that absent dads wouldn't be missed so much. And I closed this commentary by saying, I miss my dad. And I think they're full of, anyway, I miss my dad.
1: You know, one of the things I wonder about this whole fatherhood business is whether this is partly a result of um, the urbanization of America. Because I grew up in the country. There's a strong sexual division of labor in our household. You know, my father spent much of the year, especially the summer, making firewood for the rest of the year. So we, you know, many, many truckloads. We would go into the hills and cut firewood and stack, throw firewood, split firewood. That was a a big deal. And also my father went out and went hunting and there were things like that 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 we did. And that's something that my mom didn't do. She was in the house keeping care of the house. And it was a division of labor, and it was based on sex. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But in the city, people don't make firewood. (laughs) I mean, that's not a big deal in the city. There's a lot less for a father to do that's distinct from what the mother can do. So many of these city folk can't even conceive of the things that a father might be different at than a mother.
0: No, I don't I don't uh, I don't necessarily uh, uh, connect with that. I mean, I I think what you're saying is true, but I'm not sure that that has so much to do with it in the sense that um, I think the biggest thing about a father is it's it is a regulator of behavior. You know, I have uh, two older brothers. Um, You know, we didn't have a lot of physical fights in our in our house but at a certain age, um, you're bigger than your mother. And I was pretty old before I thought I could take my dad. And my dad was not, you know, my dad, I never thought of him as someone who was gonna beat up somebody else's dad. He wasn't, you know, he just, he might've been able to, but he, you know, he wasn't a fighter. He wasn't a, you know, he wasn't, hey, kids be tough, you know. But I always knew that if anything went down, I've got someone I can count on 100 percent who is physically stronger than anyone else around and is going to be at the front doing whatever he can do, including giving his life to protect me. And uh, and boy, that matters in the city just as much, if not more than it matters. And, and I think of kids kids who are picked on. I mean, so often, you know, you you find that the kid who committed some violent act, you know what, 10 years ago, somebody committed a violent act against him and maybe every day for that 10 years and so on. And you, you recognize these cycles and so on. And it seems to me that having a father is, it just gives a kid. And I think, you know, I think it's true in all kinds of ways for girls, just as much as it is for boys but it gives some level of protection there's somebody you know if you're a, a boy you're not expecting your mom to go out there and beat up the bullies and you're not really expecting your dad either but your dad steps outside and if you're 12 the bullies are they're running down the street so you know it's a little bit of the you know kind of the 50s uh, sitcom the you know it's just it's common sense that having a male person um and and the other thing is having a number of male people. If you got seven fathers on your street, instead of none, or you have, you know, I don't know how big the street is, but you know, or you got twice that, it matters. Because the truth is, I know when I was a kid, if I'm running with somebody and we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, and his father says, "Hey, don't do that." you know i'm not telling him hey you don't have any control over me i'm doing whatever i want no because he might physically come up and go i'm going to take you you know or or you know talk to my dad or if there are no parents around it is much more of a might makes right and and you know that's to me that's the big difference in fathers and uh and that's I think very hard to very hard to kind of say what what that difference you know amounts to, but boy, I think it's giant.
1: Well, that's probably true. So should
0: we talk about zoning? I mean, fathers is one thing, but the, the next most important thing in society are, <laughs> are zoning regulations. And you know what, Tim? If we're going to zone, shouldn't that be done way away from us? Shouldn't wa- I think the folks in Washington, they solve all of our problems. They're good people. Why don't they take care of all our local zoning issues?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question for me, uh, in part because, once again, the country experience is so different from the city experience. Because most cities have some form of zoning. Whereas in the county I live, is probably the freest in the, in the state. And has the least amount of nosying from the government. You can you can do a lot of things on your property, and they're not gonna they're not gonna bother bother you. And and uh, whereas the city, there are a lot of things you aren't gonna be allowed to do on the, on your property. And sometimes it's codified, and sometimes it's not. But uh, it's very interesting uh, to see the different attitudes people have about the various activities that may be regulated. And certainly in the in the country. One of the things that you see in the country is is you see city people uh, moving to the country to retire, and then voting in all the regulations that they that they often complained about in the city. That, that that they make the country more like the city legally every chance they get, and this this is a kind of an annoyance to the people who live in the in the country. Is that can't these city folks just Learn that they don't need to take charge of this. They don't that they're the last people we want in charge of this.
0: It it's sort of like the the uh, folks streaming out of California to Arizona and and Texas, and then voting for the same policies and politicians that created the situation that they're leaving uh, in droves from California for. So
1: yeah, Californication is the term that was used in the seventies and became a a funny television show in the 2000s but anyway yeah yeah but that's not <laughs> exactly what you're talking about you're not talking about californication and zoning by outsiders
0: no and and uh you know to me this is such a not not that some people don't disagree and think well you know uh, some people argue local local zonings you know more oppressive than than if they did it somehow at the state level which we point out Oregon's doing it in this script zoning by outsiders uh but but you know here's the bottom line zoning in unless you it seems to me can show some physical harm i mean obviously you can't pollute you can't you know i think most people would agree you can't have like 100 decibel noises at you know 4 a.m but It does seem to me, and I've spent some time in Houston where there's no zoning and, uh, you know, to speak of, I I don't believe there's any, but maybe there's some tiny level. uh, It seems to work just fine. And one of the funny things about Houston is you have like you have a downtown, but you have several other sort of downtowns, you know, around it. And part of that is because it hasn't been zoned to where you only have one downtown. Um, But anyway, I, I, I think the power that government has by zoning is a serious, serious power and needs to be limited, you know, very, very much. The, the issue of whether Joe Biden ought to be, you know, signing off on national zoning policies or your local city council would be better to do that, or some board they set up or whatever, I would tend to argue just generally. Local control is going to be better than having it done you know a hundred or a thousand miles away or 3,000 miles away. But the, the real issue is, what power do they have? And, and uh, I mean, the power to tax uh, who was it, some great Supreme Court justice, or I don't know how great he was, but some Supreme Court justice has something about the power to tax is the power to destroy, and the power to zone is the, the power to basically destroy, you say you're not going to be here anymore. Um, so it's, it's, again, you know, reasonable people can, can come to the right conclusions on these things. The problem is, reasonable people are busy with their jobs and other things, and, and these are done by people in government who may have started out reasonable. But have all kinds of, as we all recognize, no matter where we are in the spectrum, they have all kinds of influences and pressures. And oftentimes, it seems policy is made to help a few people who are close to the people making policy and not all of us. And it just happens again and again, doggone it. And and so it seems to me we need to reduce that power. And we need to recognize that anytime government has power, that it tends to be, anytime we regulate something, it te- tends to be the big operations who are in bed with the regulators. They're not going after the big guys and helping the little guys. That's not how it ever seems to work. And of course, anyone who looks at it knows the dynamic. The dynamic is the little guy doesn't have a bunch of favors to give people who are making decisions or money, suitcases full of it. You know, it it's and that's not the only way that things happen. They can, you know, big operations who are nationwide can, you know, they can do all kinds of things to control public opinion, influence it, and control is not the right word, but influence it. And the little guy's not going to be able to. And that's just one, you know, that's just a few small things.
1: And the, the main point you were making here, I guess, was that, um, will you acknowledge the trend? from local to state and from state to federal, Biden is pushing uh, some sort of national zoning policy. I, I which, think it sounds good, that. which is, doesn't sound good to me. The last thing I want is, can you imagine? I mean, that doesn't, even make, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Zoning from Washington, DC. That's just crazy.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It is crazy. And, and again, it's, it's, You know, it it sounds sometimes like, well, we want to set some national standards. But, you know, everywhere that they set national standards, they do that in education, they do it in energy and here and there. Does it ever have any positive impact anywhere? Did, Did we ever see any benefit from creating these national standards that usually no one thinks about again? And if they do, they only recognize that, oh, we didn't come anywhere close. Instead, you know, Let's look at the power of zoning, and and let's keep it out of the Fed's hand. My goodness, every every little tiny decision is now decided in Washington by a Congress that, whether you're left, right, or in between, you have no confidence in. Absolutely zero confidence. That's not healthy. That's not if you believe in the kind of the theories which which I think you don't Tim and and I don't really either but I can I can go along for discussion's sake these theories of government legitimacy you know we we're not even on the same planet as government legitimacy this is you know and and so you can't give congress every little decision and if you give it to the federal government you're giving it to congress and and the only the, the only thing that might get it out of congress's hands is when they hand it to the bureaucracy to write regulations in the dark to then, you know, tie us up. So it's a it's a mess. And and but that's where everything's going. Everything all the power going from the local level to the feds. And I want a federal government big enough to stop state and local governments from violating our rights and big enough to stop foreign invaders from taking, taking America by force, but not big enough to create all the problems they're creating. And, and the states can do all kinds of things, uh, especially if you have a federal government that's not allowing certain states to violate people's rights. Well,
1: um, well
0: speaking of violating people's rights.
1: Yeah, I, I was just looking at the next one.
0: Uh, hypocrisy ID. it really was, uh, I have been looking at some of the polling on, on, uh, election integrity issues, uh, voter suppression, you know, the, the whole discussion over HR one, the for the people act and, uh, Senate bill one, which is the, the companion, uh, these were pushed two years ago with almost all the same provisions. They have some horrifically horrible positions. Um, One is it would take the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, which is now fairly unable to do much damage or do much good, if you think a federal agency policing speech can do good, um, but they're gonna change that. And from now until 2027, the Federal Election Commission would be controlled by Democrats. So the 2022 election, the media doesn't ever mention this, of course, because the media is Democrats, except for Fox News, and I'm sure there's a paper or two somewhere in the country, and talk radio. Um, But basically, from the 2022 election, 2024 election, 2026 election, would all be decided with a Federal Election Commission that, Democrats could make complaints to, and then they could say, oh, three to two, you're right. And you know what? That Republican operation has to stop and cannot say that and cannot broadcast that ad. And we may find them and we may do all kinds of things because we're the new police and it's partisan. If you think that's a good idea, welcome to the end of America. But. That is that is what they're talking about. And that one idea is so dangerous. And yet, and, and part of the reason people don't appreciate how dangerous it is, is because we've created this monster that is antithi- the antithesis of, or antithetical, antithetical
1: too? Antithetical.
0: Antithetical, that's right. I had an ant that was antithetical. Anyway um so that idea of some police agency and a first amendment that says congress shall make no law abridging anybody's freedom to speak how does that match up and so it, it, once you kind of allow that agency to get there and to exist which is insane uh, under the first amendment then you might not be so shocked that in fact you might even think oh well, they don't do anything because they always split because it was designed to be half republican and half democrat which of course if you're Ross Perot or you're another independent or libertarian or green you know you got no protection that that's you know how you set up an agency like that under the equal protection clause of the constitution i don't know i mean that is ridiculous so we're left with this, and then people say, "Well, the FEC can't do anything." So we need to we need to make it instead of equal numbers. We need to make it to where somebody has the deciding vote. Well, once you do that, then you've given somebody a gigantic partisan advantage. So it's and that's just one aspect of it. There's also a six-to-one match. So we're going to start taxpayer funding of congressional campaigns. There, I mean, it, it's, it is full of stuff. It also regulates people not just around the election, if you mention the name of a congressman or senator, but all the time. So that if you're doing advertisements saying, tell Senator Jones you are for House Bill 27 or whatever or just talking about an issue where you mention the name. Now you have to register with the FEC and you have to do all these things. And of course, a lot of people who are eating the popcorn and drinking a Coke at home listening to this are thinking, hey, big deal, just register, is it a big deal? It's a big deal. It means you have to hire an attorney probably because you want to make sure you register right so you don't get fined and this and that. It means reporting all kinds of things, it means that all of a sudden, instead of a system in which you're free to say what you want to say, you are saying things how the Congressional created Election Commission tells you you can. And it's night and day. So it's it's and, and this thing goes into more and more things. For instance, this piece, hypocrisy, <laughs> hypocrisy I Um is really about voter ID. And I've been looking at some of these issues and looking at polls and I was I was kind of surprised to see, and this was months ago, uh, voter ID was as popular as it is. Because all you hear in the media is that it's a racist, evil, suppression tactic. No, there's never any fraud. There's there are just thousands of people who don't have an ID. I mean, I can't I can hardly walk down the street without being ID'd for this or that or whatever, but it's it's you know there are all these people who don't have an ID. Well, turns out that, uh, and, and these polls I was looking at were not nearly as, as uh, were, were po- it showed it very popular and popular among Democrats and popular among minorities, because the argument has been that black folks can't get the, the ID somehow, and of course they can, and and almost all these bills to be constitutional have to allow an ID that is free, because otherwise you create a poll tax. So. You know, which which I think gets to a position where maybe it's not a bad thing to have free IDs. If you're going to require people to have IDs for different things, then then you can't you know milk them for five dollars or whatever it is to get the ID. But what's so what was so funny and hypocritical is that as the poll comes out, this public poll that showed eighty percent. Of Americans favor voter ID laws. Eighty percent. It's over sixty percent of Democrats, and you, you're probably thinking, okay, it's sixty percent of Democrats. But what about what about Black voters? How do they stand? And and other people of color. Eighty-four percent. They're higher. They're, high, they're not higher than Republicans who are at 91, but they're higher than any other group. They're higher than independents, they're higher than, I mean, this is, and, and, and how do we get to a point where what we're told all the time and what we think turns out to be not anywhere close to reality?
1: <laughs> I think that could be the theme of the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere close to reality? Well,
1: how do we get to the place where the official reality has almost nothing to do with actual reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think next week we do need to, you know, we, we were talking this week and we didn't do it, but, uh, because it just all happened so fast, but you know, there's a, there's the story that there's a Chinese defector that may have, uh, changed, you know, the, the way people were looking at the Wuhan virus, uh, the Wuhan, uh, lab leak, uh, and all these different things. And of course, uh, we haven't yet told our audience, Uh, maybe they've read it somewhere else, but a lot of these things aren't out there in most of the newspapers. There's now been an admission by Google that they censored the results on searches, that they purposely, people looking for information about the lab leak possibility, were being rerouted. Now, okay, so they... We have, we now know that if a bunch of scientists, a bunch of very prominent big shot scientists sign a letter and put it in the most prominent medical journal in the world, it's not worth warm spit. We know that now. We know it. At least we know that's always possible. I mean, (laughs) they're 0 for 1, maybe the next one won't be completely dishonest. And, and it's not just that they were wrong. That letter, which was then pushed by all of media, and we're on a tangent here, but we're going. Um, but pushed by all the media, that letter also said, we have no competing interests. The whole letter and one of the signers was the guy who took the money from NIH in the United States and gave it to to the Wuhan lab. This is the bag man who did the letter. So it's, you know, it just is, it's, it's unbelievable. And then, of course, the media was in on it. We're calling it a conspiracy theory and going along with all these. When they went to China and had a completely phony investigation, and everybody, I knew it was phony. I'm not privy to anything that the Washington Post isn't privy to. It, it was a bunch of advisors who went and met with their chinese counterpart and went to a 2 hour promo event at the Wuhan lab that's not an investigation and you know china destroyed all the stuff anyway it's but how do we get here well we get here when the media lies to us they lie to us not just accidentally not just cuz they like to be liars they're politicians they're not journalists they're politicians and they are campaigning for a world that I frankly don't want to live in, Um, and they are campaigning hard for it and lying to us or denying us information so that we will believe as they want us to believe, they're hunky-dory with that. That is the world they're trying to build. And that's why even on something like voter ID, Someone who I consider myself—you know—I I work in politics. I—I'm I, privy to some things that everybody doesn't see in terms of polling and other stuff. And I was pretty shocked when I saw the numbers on voter ID because of the way it's covered. So it's—and
1: uh, they do that and, a lot. There's—I mean, this is—it's not just this kind of issue. It's, uh, for yes. instance, uh, the number of unarmed black men shot by police. Uh, Americans, when polled, I believe, are you know thinking it's thousands per year. There's this, yes, it's it's, it's the, the number is very very low. Uh, it's like in the in handfuls, and uh, that's why every possible example is made into a big story because that's all they have. Right, they don't right. have anything else, and people forget it's availability device. It's the available. Excuse me, I can't say it. Availability the, bias? Exactly. That's part of what we deal with. This is a problem that all of us have, is that we have information that's available to us. And we, if we get swamped with one kind of information, even if it really isn't very significant statistically uh, or as a problem worldwide, it's just a problem we have. Um, anyway, I wanted to mention that the, the, the possible defector's name is Dong Jingwei. Yes, and uh, people can look him up. We may write about it next week, I suppose. I suppose that's something we could probably deal with. Yes, but getting good information certainly is hard.
0: It is very hard to find out stuff about that. I, I, uh, when we were looking last night, uh, thinking we might try to do something for uh, Friday, uh, and and nothing at the Washington Post. His name didn't come up. Uh, You know, it's anyway. it, It the other thing about this story, and here's the big thing: I had a friend who said. Democrats come your way and now you're attacking them, you know, because I pointed out the hypocrisy of what they were doing with voter ID because none other than Stacey Abrams came out and said she's she's fine with voter ID. And other Democrats were saying, oh, no, we've we've never been against voter ID as long as it's, you know, well, here's here's the reality of that. First of all, you can see clip after clip of Stacey Abrams saying bad things about voter ID, and no no qualifiers. Well, if you don't do voter ID just right, then it's—no, voter ID is bad. But here's the other thing about that. In H.R. 1, which they all supported, they basically banned voter ID. They took all the state laws and made them nullified and created a process where somebody could sign an affidavit and have their votes count as long as they sign an affidavit and they leave. They never have to come back and prove that they're who they say they are at that moment. So it's, you know, it's just, it's not voter ID. In fact, it is, and and it was funny because in this commentary, hypocrisy ID'd, uh, at this is I point out that Newsweek has a fact checker and specifically took Republicans to task for saying that this bans voter identification laws. And they say, quote, "HR1 does not ban voter identification laws, and then they go on to say, instead, it offers a workaround. So, yes, that's kind of like if you banned, you know, you banned heroin. But then someone said, well, we're for banning heroin, too. But in our ban, if you want heroin, just sign right here and we'll give it to you. (laughs) How can you say that we're banning your ban? You know, it's this. And you couldn't do stuff like this if you had an honest news media. Because but this is the news media saying taking republicans to task for saying this bans voter identification laws it would mean if hr1 passed it would mean that you could not require identification anywhere in america but it doesn't ban voter identification laws and and I, you know it's just the level of being lied to and having things misrepresented it's it makes it so frustrating to read the paper when i was younger i could read the paper and you know, we kind of get in the car and drive to work and think like I knew what was going on in the world. And now all I know is, oh, we live in this world where there's lots of lies being told to me all the time.
1: Yeah, and they also want to take the money out of your safety deposit boxes.
0: Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And uh, we're skipping over handicapping the best, but that's okay because we're going to save the best for last. Uh, and we'll go to Friday script, which is not so fast deposit boxes
1: not so safe not so safe
0: well, I wrote, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it here and it says it right but I wrote it down wrong not so safe deposit boxes and this is again very simple story um, and and I play up here that that you know some people would say you know call government you know a bunch of thieves and so on uh, but you know let's not go there. They just, uh, they just find themselves uh, taking people's money. And, and what happened here is that a, uh, the US Department of Justice uh, conducted a raid on a safe deposit box company, US privacy vaults and uh, vaults. And, um, and they're saying that this company was abetting drug dealers. And just reading between the lines, I'm figuring they're thinking some of the people who had their stuff in here are drug dealers. And you know what? I think the drug laws are insane. But according to the law, you might be able to then go after them if you can prove it. You'd have to charge them and prove it. And then you could put them in jail and take their stuff, even though probably not a good law to begin with. But you cannot... Just take their stuff. And that's what, uh, you know, civil asset forfeiture, like in this case, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, I think a lot of cases, the police know they did nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing. And the truth is most of the people with money in this thing probably did nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing. And they're just taking their stuff. In other cases, they may have a pretty good idea that this is a crook. And they did all kinds of things wrong, and we can't prove it, but we can steal their stuff. Both are wrong. Both create a society in which government becomes thieves, an organized band of thieves. And it is it's destructive to the police, it's to des- destructive to this whole relationship between the people and their government, because you know we're supposed to be the same. And uh, but the more the more somebody with a badge can steal your stuff, pull you over and take the money in your purse, the less you feel feel like you're on the same team. And uh, so th- this type of thing is so just destructive and evil. And it's a small thing. I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, if you could solve one or two problems in the world, this might not be the the one you would choose. But it's so wrong, and it is so against the the foundation of the country that innocent until proven guilty. And it's interesting, when you poll on this issue, I remember when it first became an issue probably a decade or so ago, um, I was shocked by the polls, because they were literally sometimes in the low 90s, and you just don't, you know, I, I'm, I've done things like term limits where it's 78 and 82 percent yes and so on. But when you're taking a poll, because I wonder, does, you know, would people say, well, if they're drug dealers and you think so and you're a policeman, well, then go ahead and take their stuff. That's not how people feel. That's not how conservative Republicans feel. It's not how moderates feel. It's not how liberal Democrats feel. The polls just off the charts. And, and you wonder, well, why doesn't this get fixed then? Because we're all on the same side and because it's a cancer in our whole criminal justice system. Well, it doesn't get fixed because money is coming in the door. Money is being taken and spent. And the people who are spending it want to keep spending it. And so, it, you know, I mean, this is uh, you, you've had different times where the federal government is kind of backed away from it, even though they've helped states do it. You've had a number of state laws passed to diminish it and block it and so on. But there's been pushback from police and prosecutors who want this gravy train, this revenue stream. And it is dirty money. It is blood money. And it's being taken from little old ladies um, and, and little old men and, and other people. But it's generally, it's generally not being taken from the rich and the powerful. Because, of course, they, they'll get a lawyer and get it back. And they'll call somebody and say, hey, what the heck is going on here? What else do I need? Do I need to support your opponent? Um, they have personal power and personal influence. But for the rest of us, you let government do these sorts of things and they're gonna do it to us. It's why when I think of torture, you know, years ago there was a lot of debate after the Iraq invasion and Abu Ghraib and, and all that about torture and so on. All I think about when I hear torture is if we institutionalize it in any tiny way, my children, if not me, and my grandchildren and their children will be tortured. It's all there is to it. And if, if they can, it's, it's like a lot of times on criminal justice, people say, well, oh, the police, they're so, and the, the black community, especially, they're going after them. And and I would not be at all surprised that they're, you know, I mean, I think we see from different statistics and so on that you can argue they're tougher on the black community. There's more policing in the black community, and you can argue whether that's socioeconomic or anything else. Here's my point. There's nobody of any race or any socioeconomic level below you know, wealthy who ought to feel safe in a society in which the police can pull you over and steal your stuff. Or in a society where they can shoot you and kill you and later say they were scared by you and they just get off. And so um, it's, it, to me, we have a huge policing problem and it does have a racial component but to me, that's not the biggest component. It has a component of support from the powers that be. And and if, look, if, if the American people were represented in Congress and state legislatures and city councils, uh, civil asset forfeiture would not exist. Police reforms would get made that have nothing to do with civil asset forfeiture, but have to do with shooting people and there being no accountability. So. Let's let's go to our last one for this week. Uh, it was actually Thursday's, um, and it's it. You know, we kind of borrowed an old theme uh, from Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, oh. What a
1: writer! That's a story you've read, right? So that so that yes. it, it, it keeps on coming out. But you're not going to be quoting uh, the man who with no qualities or anything. So uh, you're, you know, a, a thick book from Central uh, Europe—that's not something you're going to be doing a lot of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I can remember that. Uh, you know, I could read Vonnegut very easily. It was, I can remember in high school reading him and and thinking, boy, this is so much easier to read than, you know, Madame Bovary or whatever. So (laughs) anyway, he's he's a very funny man. And uh, I think he passed away a few years ago, didn't he?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, Harrison Bergeron is the is the story the short story that he tells and it's about people who you know it's a society in which anybody who uh has a talent or maybe looks prettier than the person next to them or or is smart you know if they're smart they have some thing going off in their head all the time to where they can't think straight and And if they're a good dancer, they have all kinds of, you know, weights on them so that they can't dance effectively and and whatever that it's it's designed to make everyone equal. And it's so obviously insane that it's kind of funny and maybe makes a point, except I think think we have now come to a society in which nobody understands what what point is he making? What a great idea. Uh, And we we basically were talking about the Vancouver School Board, um, and this is Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, but they killed the honors program for math and science, and they had already killed the honors program previously for for English. And of course, we've we've covered uh, this happening all over the country, uh, as well as I think in England and Canada and and so on. Uh, and the the idea is that you know, we need equity. And in this piece, I point out that, you know, don't bother to look up the word because you might be using an old dictionary, Um, but it, it basically is a new call for equal outcomes for everyone. And you can't, you know, you would think that without any analogy or any deep thought, that when you say equal outcomes for everyone, you would realize the insanity of that concept. That everyone is just not going, unless nobody does anything, um, you, know, you can't, no more races because everyone can't cross the finish line at the same time. It's a, it's a much different society. And, um, and, but that's, that's what people are talking about. And we're seeing it all over the country. In uh, this week, and and uh, it's something we didn't uh, talk about, but we may talk about it some next week. Uh, this week, you know, you you had the Loudoun County stuff and other schools, and you know, we're fighting over all kinds of issues that seem to be about something other than what would help my kid do better. How could my kid, you know? get more opportunity, work their way to, to something else. It's all about this racial group has this score and that's higher than this racial group and so on and so on. But this this particular uh, uh, situation in, in uh, Vancouver, it made me remember uh, a very personal case. You know, my daughter, uh, this was years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, uh, went to a private school it was a private school housed in the church uh i don't think there were more than 10 12 kids in her first grade class um, two teachers one teacher and one assistant you know so it's not like it's not like they just had so much to do but um this kid liked math we would go on vacation and uh and, you know, we were on this long car ride and asked me some math problems. And, you know, you'd, you'd give her math problems and she, you know, she's having a great time. And, you know, and her older sister <laughs> sometimes go, okay, all right, it's been 30 minutes of math problems. <laughs> could we play some other game? <laughs> and I kind of could sympathize. Uh, but, you know, people have different talents. And boy, as a parent, you want to find what your kid loves to do and help them do it. And so anyway, in school, she, you know, I mean, since since she was about three, could do arithmetic, she's in first grade. And the problem is they're doing two plus two equals four. And it's boring. And she's complaining. And my wife asked the teacher, look, you know, obviously she's, she's not having any problem doing this and she'll do all this, but could you give her you know, a few extra problems to challenge her and, you know, make it to where it's more fun and so on. And the teacher basically said, no, you know, well, I don't think we better do that because then she would be even further ahead. And, you know, we never took her back. We never took her back. That was the last Rhonda. You
1: mean never took her back to that school?
0: To that school. Never took her back to that school. And, you know, I remember thinking about it and it was like, oh, we, she can't go there. And Ron said, I'm not taking her, my wife's name, uh, I'm not taking her back. Um, how could you? How could you put your kid back into a situation in which you knew the, the goal was to somehow depress her? Gaining of knowledge such that other people could gain more to catch up with her. And and look, I wouldn't be in favor of them going, well, yeah, we're going to try to advance her and and kneecap all the other kids so that they can't catch her. You've got it. You know, that's not the right thing to do either. Wouldn't you give everything you could within reason to all of the kids to gain as much as she as they could? Maybe... Maybe my kid was going to be the next nuclear physicist who invents something or some other physicist who, who knows what they invent. How could you purposely kind of hope they're held back in some way? And, and it'd be different if, you know, you, you could see in some classrooms there's 40 kids in the class. I don't think there's too many of those in America, but, but there is. And the teacher just says, oh, I just don't have time to do it. I, that'd be understandable but the idea being that we cannot allow someone to be further ahead i mean that's it's a crazy crazy idea and it is alive and well in uh in virginia and in vancouver british columbia and and all over the english speaking world
1: yeah i I like to remind people that for, we can't let equality be an attack on quality that's actually what makes civilization so important is to advance quality and qualities and uh, that's uh, something that the equalitarians have a problem with
0: and the the other thing is that so often people want to make people equal in their eyes instead of the people they're talking about's eyes for instance well, everybody should make the same amount of money. Well, you know what? Some people care about money a lot more than other people. Some people would say, you know what? I'd rather have my free time, and so I'll, I'll make this salary rather than take that promotion that's going to cause me to have to work two hours extra every day. And that's, that's right for them. So you can come on from on high and say, no, 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 you all have to be equal you're not helping people you're not you're not making them equal in in important things like satisfaction and you know that's the uh, the whole man does not live by bread alone it's it's so often and and i think it's socialism too because you 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 see this kind of idea that everything is material that somehow this person is richer and that's not fair and so on and Look, I look at my life and, you know, and and maybe I'm full of it, but I get to be full of it. I think I've got a rich life. I don't want to trade it with anybody. I don't want to trade it with Bill Gates. And I know if I got to trade, I'd get his billions, but I don't know that I'd want to be him. Now, if they say, hey, you get to be you, we kick Bill Gates out and you get his billions, then I'm good with it. But no, it, it, all of this uh, equality and, and, you know, comparing people in these ways. And, and it, it's so stupid, especially because you see where it's been attempted in any real way. Um, I look at what's happening today on, on race relations in, in the United States, and it's like the cultural revolution in China. That was not a good thing. Um, it's, you know, everybody was equal in Pol Pot's Cambodia, well, not quite, the, the, the guards were a little more equal. Uh, but you know, that's, that's the sort of thinking that leads to just horrific outcomes. And you know, we just had a century of totalitarianism raising its ugly head several times, of hundreds of millions of people killed beaten oppressed by their governments murdered in wars cr- created by basically totalitarian governments and and you know it seems like we should not be copying <clears throat> those ideas so i know i'm out on a limb
1: yeah out on a limb uh, did you see or did you notice elizabeth gaskell quote from this week on the, on the side now
0: that I'm not trying to think. I'm, I'm not sure I did.
1: She was a 19th century British novelist. And her line here is Were all men equal tonight, some would get the start by rising an hour earlier tomorrow. Yes. It, it fit nicely with the week's, uh, at least with uh, the next day's piece.
0: That's right. And of course, you know, some of us would do all right even if we slept an extra hour and just caught up during the day.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs>
0: not being a morning person.
1: Yeah, I'm not a it's morning. person.
0: Exactly people. right. It you know, people people are different, and that's a good thing.
1: By the way, I looked up uh, equity in my old dictionary, and you can see where they're coming from. But it's uh, people used equity all the time in the 19th century. They used the word all the time, but they don't use it like today's equity theorists do. I just thought people should mention that. Uh, so here's what it says. The quality of being fair or impartial, fairness, impartiality, also that which is fair and just, justice or right. In law, the application of the dictates of conscience or the principles of natural justice to the, the settlement of controversies and so forth. So it, it fits all the old conceptions of justice. And it does fit this new one, except that they have a very highly egalitarian Conception of what fairness is, right. you know it's right. not fair that anyone's different right. It, which it, strikes me as insane
0: well the the other you know the other thing is is thinking that it's fair because your race got its proportionate representation in something. Uh, it's this week they uh, we had written we've written in the past about uh, Thomas Jefferson, a magnet school in in Fairfax County, Virginia. And uh and it's a majority uh minority county. Um but it's or it's close anyway. I, I think it is. It's but it they've got a new deal where they no longer are using what the Washington Post described as a notoriously difficult admissions test. Uh <laughs> which I thought <laughs> yes, how dare they test people. But anyway. Uh, But now they have upped, they've they've created a different situation where they pick people and encourage them to apply and they don't have any scores. So I guess they're going by whatever teachers say and so on. But the uh, the rate of Hispanic and black uh, involvement has basically doubled. And the superintendent said, well, then it worked. (laughs) Oh, well, yes, if you say we're going to we're going to double the percentage, then you can double the percentage has no impact. You know, he hasn't seen whether these folks actually can do the work and everything else. But, you know, I suspect they have more than than are allowed to go to the school who can do the work. Um, Anyway. It struck me that here it is. Is that really is that all is it is it done now? now that they have twice as high a percentage, but they're still half their proportion. I mean, the whole argument was they're below their proportion of the overall population. And of course, do you know who's the furthest below their proportion of the population? Whites. So they should be suing now, shouldn't they? And claiming you know, people of color, privilege, and so on and so on. And And of course, who really got? screwed over in the deal? Well, Asians were scoring higher on the test. And it seems to me since it's a, a magnet school that's trying to get the best students that scoring better on the test is better than scoring less well. Um, but, you know, and, and no one bothers to think that maybe that's got an element of, of uh, you know racial animus that is anti-Asian. And in fact, uh, if people go back, and I can't think of the title of it right off, but we've written about Thomas Jefferson High School before, and there was clear uh, animus. There were statements made by school board people and others uh, suggest, the superintendent, suggesting that somehow Asians were overstudying. How dare they? How vicious and evil. They were taking tests ahead of time, practice tests. I mean, what kind of evil, vicious, maniacal human being would study for a, anyway. But uh, if you look for that, you'll find that uh, on, on the site through the search. Uh, but we, we have, uh, you know, we have, I think, parents may be more concerned, it's my sense, about what's going on at their school than they have been in the past. And that may be our saving grace.
1: Well, on that note, I think we could conclude this uh, episode of this week of common sense. This is but, for the final full week of June. There's a there's a half a week of June to go next week.
0: It's important that we note that, I think, that uh because otherwise you're saying the final week and somebody could realize, "Hey, he's pulling a fast one here."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. July 1st starts uh Start somehow in the week next week. They can't keep these things straight. There ought to be a law, right? (laughs) We need
0: more weekends.
1: Okay, talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Well, it's the end of the podcast, and I guess I could beg to ask you to do all the things that all the podcasts ask you to do, but I'm going to boil it all down to one thing. Go to thisiscommonsense.org.